0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Crypto Coffee Hour, the first new episode of 2022. Here with you, as always, is me, your host, Jeff,
1: and my co-host, Will. Hey, guests. Hey, listeners. Uh, just so happy to uh, you know start the new year with you guys. And looking forward to uh, exciting year ahead with all the developments. So let's get right to it. Um, yeah,
0: 2022 is shaping up to probably be a big year for crypto with all the developments that kind of have solidified in this past year. Um, yeah, so we will.
1: Yeah, well, well, you know, I was just uh, thinking about, um, you know, the conversation we had last time about the Ethereum name service. Right. And, uh, you know, it sort of uh, made it very um, compelling to me because I was like, all right, well. I mean, if crypto is here to stay um, and if, you know, we're trying to kind of buy you know, NFTs or this experience of trying to create something that is unique to ourselves, uh, I went ahead and also registered something on using the Ethereum name service. One of the first times I've used the Ethereum network, the gas fees are incredibly high. But uh, yeah, I just put my name, you know, uh, out there and registered it for like 10 years so I don't know what that means, Jeff, but it was kind of fun. Uh, it wasn't that expensive. I was like $5 a year. So I just did it for 10 years plus the gas fees. Um, I don't know, Jeff. How do you feel about that? It's just uh, going forward. I mean, I don't know what the practical use of it is. It's not like I bought anything uh, that valuable at this point. But I guess if the ecosystem develops, it should, um, you know, it should come to something, right? Right.
0: Yeah, I think it's cool because it's... Um... You know, it's something that's new in the Ethereum space relatively. Um, having this domain dot eth domain that's can kind of replace your address so you don't have to memorize this crazy address. Um, and some of the uses aren't super obvious at first, right? You go know, the obvious use case is now you can tell people to send um send you assets, any eth based asset to that ENS domain. But there are other kind of intangible benefits from having an ETH domain as well. Um, if you're kind of in the whole crypto social space, right, the whole community space, having your ETH domain kind of is like also a second identity of sorts. You know, you have your your Twitter handle as a form of social media thing. Um, having an ENS domain is almost like having it's almost like having a decentralized social media profile, like not really, because there's no real features other than people knowing like, hey, this address belongs to this person, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But you see people on Twitter that kind of have a persona and their name will be like something.eth and that kind of becomes their whole uh, pseudonym, Mm -hmm. right? And that wallet address kind of takes the role of almost like an avatar in the metaverse. And that's kind of like a beginning step, um, like an abstract way of thinking about what this ENS domain means, right? And in the same way that, like, internet domains, like .com domains, .org domains, like back in the day, people thought, "Oh, this is just something for you to go to a web page and read an article," because that's kind of what the internet was back then, Um, you know. But that evolved into all sorts of things, into web apps, into all these different um, websites and whole um, ecosystems built in the old Web two world on these domains. And so we could see something um, that's just you know that hasn't existed yet built onto these um crypto name services in the future
1: sure. this is one of those examples where like i just you know invested per se first because i think this is kind of like an nft investment um and then ask questions later so then after i bought it i was like all right let me think about what exactly did i buy and uh you know what are the implications so um you know one of the reasons i chose eth is just uh, i mean there are other networks out there that we can although Basically, layer one solutions, as we say, Uh, and each one of them most likely will have their own naming service going forward. Um, But I guess I chose ETH because that's the most popular platform right now. Um, And I would assume that uh, my wallet address uh, for Ethereum probably will be utilized the most. But that could change, too. So, um, you know, Jeff, I'm just curious, like, is there uh, what would overtake uh, the importance of what i just registered like what would happen for these ens um uh, domain names to you know, no longer be as popular what, what do you envision a situation would it be a competing kind of a uh, name service or uh how would how would our wallet addresses um how would the way we use the network or how would the ecosystem evolve in such a way that perhaps uh our our uh, utilization of this changes
0: Right. So I mean on the subject of competing name services, right now we see every every other chain basically start um start a kind of competing name services dedicated to that chain. You know, you have .soul addresses for Solana, .ust addresses for Terra, um and so on, right? So you have these competitors already. But um in the future, you know, could there be other domain names existing on Ethereum like other not dot ETH, but maybe dot Ethereum or dot, you know, something else that is also, you know, doing the same function as ENS, but with kind of a different um, domain name to register. Like it could happen that way, you know, just as in like in our Web2 world, there's all sorts of domains we can use that's not just limited to dot com. Um, like yeah, there could be other ones. Um, but exactly. I think, I think like the ENS thing, right? Like, even though some people are going to look at it kind of from an investment point of view where you can you know buy these domains that you think are going to be valuable like for sure something like facebook.eth or meta.eth would probably be worth a lot of money um but it's kind of like the same thing that um you know vanity license plates have too some of it is just for your own personal um enjoyment your own satisfaction of knowing hey like i have this cool domain that i've registered to my wallet now and no one else can use it. It's kind of unique to me. And that's like kind of a cool feeling. And it's kind of what the whole digital ownership um, and NFT thing is all about, right? This is an NFT that represents a name, you know, that mm. you now own in this space, um, which is kind of a cool thing to have too. Like, I mm. think in the last episode I gave, uh, I gave the example of my friend Garrity, who now has gary.eth kind of, sorry to dox your wallet, Gary. It's kind of a kind of a funny. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing, right? Just having his name .eth as his wallet address is kind of kind of cool.
1: But but let's say just using that example, you know, if he had like ten wallet, ten different wallets, okay, um, would that be a uh, all tied to Garrity
0: No, so that domain is kind of limited to your whichever wallet is holding that NFT file that has your ENS registry, right? So, um, basically when you register, a Ethereum domain, your wallet is given this NFT file that kind of lets the blockchain essentially recognize it. It's basically kind of like an identifier, um, that, Mm -hmm. you know, you own that domain. Now that wallet is associated with that domain name. Um, so you can resell that. You can do other things with it. Like, um, you know, that might have. But it's ex- a
1: one for one. It's a one for one. It's uh this particular uh, wallet address goes with this particular ENS. Um, right, right. But, it's okay, transferable,
0: it. but it is like a one for one. But for now, you know, who knows in the future, maybe they can do things like fractionalize it or add other functionality to it where it can represent um multiple wallets somehow. I don't know how because it would have to have some sort of pathing mechanism to determine which wallet would get the amount of money
1: it's it's evolving i feel like this right but it just evolving. means that
0: that there could be things that um that it can do that it can't do now
1: yeah yeah i was just thinking like um you know putting my name out there right and then basically let's say all my wallet addresses different wallets um not just my ethereum wallets not just my metamask but all my other wallets and other networks could all funder this umbrella um, uh, but maybe it's, we're, we're, not there yet. Yeah. I maybe right no, instead
0: now. of like your ENS, maybe there would be another, maybe some sort of like if we talk about layer zero blockchains, maybe there's some sort of layer zero, um, yeah. domain or something in the future that kind of lets you, um, you know, mm-hmm. lets you have all your addresses kind of in one, one accessible place. Right. And that's kind of, we can always go back to the whole building aspect of the space, but that's why it's exciting. Like all these things we talk about are just ideas are ideas that people can go out and try and build now, because the space okay. is full of um, opportunities like this. Sure,
1: and also this is not related to Ethereum, or right? even though it's called the Ethereum Name Service. It's not like something you know Vitalik thought up or the the development team thought of. This is uh, a- no,
0: this is like another. Pr- it's just like everything else on Ethereum. It's just <laughs> another project spun up by kind of the community okay. within Ethereum.
1: And, and then they decided to use .eth, right as kind of the ending, but they could have, as you said, going forward what's to prevent .eth2, you know, from becoming more popular than .eth1? I mean, it's... it's, uh, Right, so it's it's almost
0: like network effect of people just deciding, hey, like, you know, why is .com the most common one for, like, websites? It just kind of happened to be Mm. that way, you
1: know? Yeah, just interesting. Again, community, there's intangibles, there's technology, and then there's just, as you said, like, there's a personal satisfaction of this, and it's all kind of melded into one. And I think that's what I was thinking that when I was uh, up at, like, 3am thinking hey you know what i want to register my name and, <laughs> and then i just did it for like 10 years yeah no seriously initially i was just gonna register for one year it's like five bucks right and then i was like you know what for five bucks let me just do it for 10 years i don't even know what that means i don't know what you know how, <laughs> how Ethereum will look in 10 years right um, yeah this is, at this pace this space is moving i don't know what we'll talk about and you know, what we'll be talking about in 10 years so i don't know what this name means so but it's it's fun that way and i'm certainly enjoying it so, Jeff, you know, uh, another thing that I did um, just through our, our conversations that we've been having and, um, it, again, been very helpful, we recorded it for our listeners who we help, who we think it's uh, helpful for. But it's helpful for me, too. And, um, you know, with the Ledger wallet, just thinking more about uh, kind of security, of course, um, and this is something we advise for our listeners um, as you uh, increase your involvement in this space, it's definitely um, you know, important to uh, consider alternative ways of storing your, your assets. And so um, my understanding, Jeff, again, let's confirm. So Ledger gives you a new uh, wallet address. So in order for you to kind of use this more secure method, you need to get into the habit of, um, you know, starting to use your Ledger address instead of your MetaMask address. Is that right. correct? Right, right. And and so um, for your existing transactions, your existing um, kind of MetaMask wallet, uh, you could, if you wanted to, and if there's a significant amount there, start making a transfer to your Ledger wallet. Is that also would you also agree with that? Yes, definitely. Okay. Okay. So, um, for example, using Anchor, we have um, quite a bit of, for example, AUST that's deposited uh, in Anchor. Right, and which is of, your
0: receipt, essentially, for the amount of UST deposited.
1: Exactly. So instead of going through, reversing that whole process and paying all the fees, um, you can just basically transfer, uh, I think at a minimal cost, AUST. Um, you just hit the button, transfers, you know. Or I send. also want to
0: point out something, too, while yeah. we're just talking about this. Um, just because, you know, AUST you know in luna it's not that expensive to you know withdraw your deposit and then redeposit it again you know it ends up being maybe under a dollar the whole process but one of the reasons you want to do this is it well while well, I'm not a tax ex, sorry while well, I'm not a tax expert by any means when you are doing protocol withdrawals in defi if you're in um, U.S. jurisdiction, it could trigger a taxable event, you know, depending on your um, your country's tax laws. Whereas if you just directly transfer the ownership of that receipt to your other wallet, um, that's not the equivalent of, you know, making a withdrawal from a DeFi protocol, which would be a taxable event and then redepositing it again.
1: Mm. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Got it, got it. Uh, so basically, if you just transfer it, um, it's not a taxable event. If you unstake well, it, uh, like I said, I'm it,
0: not, I'm not a tax attorney okay. or anything. I don't want sure, to sure, give sure. our listeners poor advice. But from what I understand, yeah, like if you transfer it, then you're still retaining the ownership because you're not giving it to a different wallet. You're not giving it to someone else. You're merely mm-hmm. transferring the wallet address of these assets, right? Versus got if it. you withdraw it, you know, you're now creating technically a taxable event that
1: um, yeah also just much cleaner to just send it as i said so
0: you're just basically doing one-to-one transfer of everything from one wallet to another
1: yeah yeah no it just made me again listeners this is why i think being in the space or pressing the buttons is helpful because you start realizing how these things work um and you realize that actually uh, you know, as Jeff said, a UST is your receipt. Um, and it's uh, kind of a, a, you've created this kind of this new asset by depositing, um, you know, your original UST. And then that asset is now what is kind of um, being um, associated with different addresses, right? And You're so giving now- that
0: receipt to a different wallet. And then that
1: owner of that receipt
0: basically has the power to, um, transfer those funds and withdraw those funds at any time
1: yeah yeah so i made that transfer and then i also did some um for listeners who uh, have been with us for a while you know we talk about sometimes these olympus dow forks uh, time wonderland uh, so again uh, very cumbersome pro- oh maybe not cumbersome but it would be a, a few st- extra steps involved in right unspaten- and especially
0: on ethereum you know it can get quite expensive Ooh. with how the fees are
1: Yeah, so what I did was basically, um, just because Time Wonderland is on AVAX, uh, I just simply transferred from, um, you know, my MetaMask. And again, you just, you kind of, you also need to, um, again, I didn't realize this, because I used to just always go on the Time Wonderland uh, kind of website to see how much, you know, time I have staked, or they call it memories, right, I've staked. But actually, it's available on your MetaMask. You just need to import that coin. It's just that previously, right. You know, clueless I was. I didn't realize that, you know, I didn't import the coin, which is why it didn't appear on MetaMask. Um, But if you import the coin, you actually see how many memories you have. And um, as you're accumulating it, right, because the the way it works is you're constantly getting new coins every eight hours, um, and it uh, sort of adds up, and you can see it in your MetaMask. It adds up. So um, without even using the the time website uh, interface, I can just simply, you know, look at the balance on my MetaMask and then make that transfer um, to the, the equivalent. Um, just be sure, of course, to paste your ledger address. Um, and then, as we explained last time, uh, AVAX is also available on Ledger, right? So that's a compatible. I mean, it's um, uh, it Ledger is one of those things where apparently you can install and uninstall a lot of different networks on it. Is that right? right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: And one of the nifty things, it's like, because the one of the problems with the Ledger Nano S is that the internal storage memory is so small, you can only end up installing three apps, really. Okay. Um, but, you know, the Ethereum app works with every single EVM chain. So if you're using Avalanche, you don't even need to open the Avalanche app to be interacting on MetaMask with your Ledger. You can just have the Ethereum app open and Avalanche will work. Phantom will work, Harmony will work, Moon River will work, you know, anything that's an EVM compatible chain will work with the Ethereum app on Ledger.
1: Oh, you're saying I don't need to uh install or uninstall um Avalanche, for example, on Ledger to save space. I can just can use Ethereum. Right. You can just use Ethereum for every
0: single um basically every single network that's available on MetaMask can be uh, accessed with the Ethereum app on the ledger mm, mm,
1: okay yeah i was gonna say like i initially thought that like i didn't know how to use the ledger because i could only like it kept saying you're running out of space to download right, stuff. Right. and then it was like what i mean i just installed like <laughs> two networks right. got it got it so, so that's just uh, they expect you to you know i mean they're trying to save space is that what it is is that why it's uh I mean, they're only giving like i, brought, I think it's probably just like
0: it's it's their way of trying to sell their Higher tier product, the Nano X, you know, which allows you to install like ninety nine apps. Um Oh, yeah, it's just one okay. of their ways to upsell their products. Still get bit. it?
1: I mean, because yeah, it's really inconvenient
0: kind of... otherwise. But that EVM kind of loophole helps a lot because just with that one Ethereum app, you've kind of eliminated the need for most apps you would use on chain anyway. Um, but, oh, but no, and but then you can later... have two more for like
1: Solana and Terra that aren't EVM. Okay, so Jeff, I mean. I get that I don't need to necessarily install the app um, on my wallet in order for, for example, to send funds from MetaMask to my address, um, because it's just sending an address. I don't need the app to be installed or anything. Um, however, if I later want to use, for example, let's say I want to send that time token or memory token from the Avalanche network on my, you know, nano wallet um I still need to kind of interact, right? I mean, I I right, and that's what
0: I'm saying. The interaction you just need the Ethereum app. So even if you're sending through Avalanche, if you have the Ethereum app open, you will still be able to confirm the transaction because it's an EVM chain. Oh, okay, okay. In that instance, you just you don't need to install the Avalanche app at all or the Phantom app at all. You can do everything through the Ethereum app.
1: And and the ledger will ask you to confirm because the whole yes, point yes, it'll
0: do the exact same thing basically
1: oh okay 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 cool yeah no
0: so it's a little yeah, bit redundant thing. them having the evm points to be mm-hmm. honest but i think they probably yeah. just added it there you know then they can say oh we have like just for people all like, these extra no, no, coins no, people, even though yeah
1: no it's for people like me who are like would be like freaked out if i'm like oh i sent avalanche to you know to my ledger wallet but th- there's no network right, right it doesn't right, support right. it that's and true so that's true. You just, it does yeah, help with yeah,
0: usability, but... but in a weird way, also takes away from usability <laughs> because of its mm. of the storage limitations of the nano itself.
1: Yeah, you know, I gotta say, Jeff, using the the ledger, it, it's almost like it, it's kind of you're going backwards because it's so manual. You right, know, it's a totally it
0: analog like... kind of way of doing it,
1: <laughs> which is just is so different from the way I've been clicking around you know, in um, in DeFi space, right? And how everything uploads automatically and connects. And here, I'm literally like, I gotta press two, I gotta hold two buttons down, <laughs> right? And then I gotta do, th- I mean, I haven't, uh, I don't know, the last time I used something like this was like the iPod Shuffle. I mean, are you old enough to remember what that is? <laughs> yeah, Jack? I remember that. iPod <laughs> Shuffle. <laughs> right, I mean, nowadays there's not even a button to press on the iPhone, right? And so now I'm like, I'm clicking um, these buttons and then to confirm, but I guess that's how it's supposed to be to make it more secure. Is that the point? Well, also, Jack? also mm. keep in mind, like this technology all is so new.
0: Like hardware wallets, they came about um, not super long ago, but like you know, as a as a full fledged consumer product, they got popular maybe like four, four or five years ago. Um, and they've, you know, the the space has changed a lot since then. When Ledger came out, it was just basically Bitcoin and a couple. Other cryptocurrencies that were basically also trying to be store values and owning crypto Mm. wasn't something you really interacted with. It was more just like, ooh, I bought my crypto and now I have the store value that I'm just going to hold here for a long time. Because there was Mm. no DeFi yet. There were no NFTs. So, um, you know, the technology is still trying to catch up like everything else in crypto. It's so fast, right? The hardware Mm. wallets are a little bit outdated right now because they don't Ah. really reflect the use cases in crypto. You know, it would be cool if your hardware wallet, for example, could display your NFTs. I'm just making a total example. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But like if it was a screen that you know you could see your NFTs on, that would be a cool feature to have. But the whole thing is like still um in the infancy stages. And these wallets are um, you know, kind of still catching up with how fast crypto is developing.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking the part of the reason maybe it seems so uh, unfamiliar to me using it is because it's trying to be not connected to the internet, right? Is that, that's what makes it secure, right? right. It's, it's supposed to be not connected. It's, but, trying, oh, it's what,
0: trying to add this extra layer of difficulty that makes it more secure.
1: Mm-hmm. But I guess the, uh, the reason we want it to be not connected to the internet is because anything that is connected to the internet has potential to be compromised. That's exactly. What we're just, And the immutable
0: nature of blockchain means that, you know, if you lose it, chances are you lose it. You know, there is no going back.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, this is something that I'll have to kind of reflect and kind of, you know, run around in my mind a bit more. It's like one on the one hand, it's like the Internet is super convenient. We want everybody to be connected to the Internet. Right. You know, and at the same time, it's like, well, you know, but we don't want everything to be connected to the internet because then it's like if you make a mistake, and as you said, the blockchain it's great for being immutable, but at the same time, the mistakes are also irreversible. And then there are hacks. And so, internet is great for connecting everybody, but the internet is also terrible because it's like you're opening you right. know, your doors right. of, of your so house. I feel like everyone. with
0: security, especially, there always is going to have to be some sort of kind of un unnecessary, mm. uh, not unnecessary, but like unpopular or kind of like annoying step you have to take. Just like how when we're trying to log into our email nowadays, we need to enter like two-factor authentication, right? Got to get a text message from Google telling you to input a code just for that extra level of security. I feel like that's something we are going to have to put up with. But, you know, it can be better. It will probably be better in the future. There will probably be better user experience features added to these wallets. Um, I know one of the popular wallets I think I mentioned last time too is almost like kind of a terminal on your desk that's just, you know, There all the time. It's more for a person that's not really mobile, not really taking his crypto places. But if you're just kind of an at-home trader doing DeFi stuff, you have this terminal with a screen that kind of displays all the transactions, everything. And it makes for a better experience for DeFi specifically. And this is a product that's pretty new. Um, DeFi itself is a product that's pretty new. So as we see this space expanding, we'll see new products come up to fill in these need cases and pain points that we're kind of talking about now.
1: It's it's cool, Jeff. I mean, you know, this wallet thing has been something that I've put off just because like you know, it's just as you said, the user experience not that friendly. And you know, also, I just feel like, oh, that's so it's not as exciting as the you know the other interesting things we talk about, the big picture stuff we talk about with GameFly and Metaverse. But as we're talking about it, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of potential and opportunities here too. Right. Uh, it's just a lagging
0: yeah. space because it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's much yeah. harder to make a soft like a hardware thing, um, mm-hmm. a physical item that's still secure, does all these things, is feature rich than it is mm-hmm. to make just a purely software-based thing, especially when the space where everything is, not everything, but most things are open source and people can build on top of each other. Um, mm-hmm. The hardware aspect's way more difficult, right?
1: It um, has to deal with the physical world. And this has to deal with the physical the way- world.
0: It deals with real life constraints with like supply <laughs> chain logistics and all these things. You see, whenever crypto booms, there's suddenly a shortage of hardware wallets. Um, Everyone buys <laughs> out all the ledgers and treasures and everything. So yeah, yeah. they fa- they face sure. more hurdles um, to uh, sure. making a more fleshed out product, but that doesn't mean those products aren't being made, and that doesn't mean people aren't trying to rise to the task <laughs> of creating a better experience for users.
1: Jeff, you know, I was just thinking, I, I hope we're still you know recording this show you know, in uh, beginning of 2023, right? And uh, I just don't even know what topics we'll be talking about because I just hey, think, it can be
0: so different. you know <laughs> I
1: think back this time last year, um was yeah. when i when I
0: first kind of um was when I first kind of like started paying heavy attention into the crypto space again after you know the bear market was kind of going through, um, everyone was kind of going through hard times, kind of checking out a little bit. But to- last year was when I first really uh, got my focus back onto crypto one hundred percent. and just thinking about all the changes that have happened since, you know, the explosion of nfts, the rise of these ohm forks. Um, you know, the fact that traditional, well, I say traditional, but old school DeFi has kind of fallen behind to this new wave of DeFi uh, protocols and everything. And it's just extraordinary to see how much the space has changed in a year. And, you know, next year is going to be totally different, too. Next year, we're going to be talking about things that we haven't even, you know, this we is can't why, even imagine right now.
1: <laughs> this is why, you know, maybe... You know, we spent some episodes, um, you know, at the end of last year talking about, oh, what are the themes for 2022? But you know what? Honestly, like, I mean, the the point that we're even talking about those themes, chances are, you know, those are not going to be the, you know, the focus. Um, The the what's going to really take off is something that we really don't. I mean, it's not in our minds right now, and and I think that's exciting. And I think kind of keeping an open mind. um, And I, you know, we we talked about something with hardware, for example. I mean, just thinking like. There's so much business opportunities, whether you're like a, you know, in the physical world or in the digital world, you're doing software, hardware. And as this, um, as the ecosystem expands, as we always like to say, the ecosystem expanding, meaning, you know, the digital space becomes more, um, you know, uh, becomes more popular. People want to spend more time in it. Uh, And of course, the price of these coins need to go up in order to just draw more people into it, um, draw more adoption. And then the types of business opportunities that will come about it's just yeah it's it's unreal uh, again i don't want to be exaggerated i don't want to exa- sound like i'm exaggerating but it really it really is unreal and so this is why um, again for people who are uh, more in the traditional space it the the gap isn't as large as you think between what you're currently doing how your business operates or what you're creating or manufacturing versus probably what is kind of already happening in an analogous way in uh, digital space <clears throat> Right. I agree. And I think,
0: you know, that perceived gap is Mm -hmm. much smaller than most people might uh, think, you know, I feel Mm -hmm. like it's just large enough to make you feel really uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. um, make you kind of wary of it and not want to partake. But it's actually once you make that jump, it's actually not very far. It's actually quite, um, you know, it's quite easy to get into the space. I think it's quite easy to approach it if you are willing to have that open mind and really like kind of start learning
1: yeah you know um just to kind of take that a little little further i mean again this is not the specifics of d5 the specifics of operating your wallet but just kind of just some some thoughts um you're right like a lot of times for new technology to take off i mean the timing has to be just perfect right it can't be too early it can't be too early. So what Jeff was saying, it's just far enough. The gap is just far enough for you to be uncomfortable, which is why it hasn't been exploited, which is why there isn't mass adoption. But it's also narrow enough that there is the right technology right, surrounding yeah. it and the right supporting technology. So again, I'm not an engineer, but my understanding is the iPhone, the pieces in it, a lot of it was already in place, right? Um, And then, you know, you had somebody, Steve Jobs, and I'm sure other, you know, very talented people around him, uh, decided to put it all together. And all of a sudden, this took off. But you couldn't, if you missed any one of those pieces of the technology, like the touch screen, for example, then the iPhone would not, you know, be what it is. Um, Then people would be like, oh, I'm still doing the buttons. It's still kind of a, and then we just wouldn't have all these use cases, all these apps that developed around, uh, you know, this touch screen. So that's I'm just saying that's one example, or uh, perhaps the uh, way you know the way the cameras work, the technology for that, in such a way that we decide to carry our phones around all the time, we replace the camera, and then the phone feature enables all these other apps, makes it super convenient, or the GPS, and then for the for the the, the maps. So yeah, I mean, I, I just think that you know um, there's a lot of applications. Which, you know, you just kind of the timing needs to be just right. And of course, you know, we're ju- making a judgment here when we say, you know, are the right pieces in place, you know, for, um, you know, crypto adoption. Um, but I, I think it's uh, it, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I think with crypto adoption comes, um, you know, a natural curiosity people have about something new like this, which is why some of these opportunities feel so crazy and so unreal because they really are just things people can cook up in their head and then just say, let me try it and see what happens. And people end up, you know, with a financial incentive to see things going a certain way. And you kind of don't really know what you end up with. And a lot of the times ends up being um, really surprising the results of some of these crypto projects. Um, mm, mm,
1: mm. Yeah. The conversations I have with people in traditional um you know, whether it's traditional finance, or just traditional businesses, the speed at which they think about these projects is definitely different because I've noticed that, you know, they tend to dig into the weeds a lot more, which is fine. You talk about regulations because that's, you know, how, how it's normally um, done. And it's for good reason in the physical world, the real world. But I, tell t- but I tell these guys a lot of times, hey, listen, this is a new experiment. And you know what? There's actually very little cost to this new experiment. So, you know, the code is out there, there's a smart contract that they implement. And if it works, it's great. If it flops, I mean, just the users kind of leave the community and then we move on to something else. But at any one time, there's hundreds, thousands of new protocols, new smart contracts that are being implemented, new programs, right? That give you kind of, they're competing with one another. And so out of that, maybe the top 10% or maybe even less or more rises up. And so it's just such a dynamic ecosystem um, of sort of these businesses, you know, failing and, and, and succeeding. Whereas, like, I think in traditional space, it just takes so long to implement something, right? I mean, you, you have to have so much, you know, you got to get all your 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 paperwork and ducks in order. And so this is why I think this space just, um, you know, is, is much more vibrant. Right, and, and uh,
0: the the thing about the speed thing, right, like, it's funny because in this space, sometimes you feel like things last forever. Like, I feel like people have been talking about um, Metaverse and like GameFi stuff forever now. It feels like they keep talking <laughs> about it and it hasn't delivered the way um, you know they had kind of pitched it. But then I kind of have to zoom out and think, actually this is something that they've just really been talking about for the last maybe year, two years three years at best if you were kind of visionary back in 2018 2017 um, and it's really new. It's like super new and they are working at breakneck speeds to kind of create these things um, but it's just you yeah. become so accustomed to the pace of crypto. you know, you feel like everything <laughs> takes
1: <laughs>
0: way, so way longer.
1: You, maybe the people you talk to are like, oh, we've been looking at a metaverse forever now for two, three years. People I talk to, they still kind of roll their eyes when I talk about meta. you know they're, they're, this is not this is a very new concept to them. Um, you know, they they kind of feel like it's a little little gimmicky and whatnot. So it just gives shows you that the the range um you know the people that you hang out with are a little more hip you know are a little more trendy and you know they they get it um and maybe the people i hang out with you know they're just a bit more traditional um and so for them a lot of these concepts are quite uh yeah quite out there so
0: this Well i think from my example though what listeners should take is you know like don't don't um be quick to judge anything cuz i only thought that way like i only thought people were talking about this forever because i was one of those people that when i first heard of decentraland and I first heard of NFTs. I wrote them off right away. I didn't think these had legs. You know, I read all the promises people had about a metaverse and you know, like a a way to kind of change digital ownership. And I just didn't buy into it. You know, I says like, well, you sh- you told me all these things. I don't believe you, and I don't see um, mm. I don't see any product. But you mm. know, I say like, oh, I feel like they've been harping on. They've been talking about this for forever, but it's actually only been like a short year two three years and they actually have built all this stuff that i was initially skeptical about and Mm. so to succeed in this space you really have to have an open mind to like understand what is possible and what these technologies can do because Mm. even if you feel like you're in the space you're going to miss a lot of these things sometimes because Mm. some of it really is so abstract that it takes several Mm.
1: really like read-throughs to kind of wrap your head around yeah well you know um Maybe getting back to kind of more specifics in crypto space, another thing that I've uh, kind of been exposed to or uh, got connected with is, again, listings, right? So listing of new coins is something I've always been interested in. It's like, oh, you know, um, how do I get involved um, in um, you know, new listings so that uh, if there is kind of a, a bigger potential, I uh, can try to get in uh, earlier right, at a more um, reasonable price. And so there's something called like CoinList. I'm I'm sure there's probably more platforms like that. And I remember asking Jeff about this. Um, Basically, confirm uh, this for our readers, for our listeners. um, CoinList is one of, I guess, many platforms you can go to for uh, to subscribe to IDOs. Is that a fair? um, That's a fair assessment of it. Um, It's one of several services
0: that kind of became popular during the ICO boom of Mm -hmm. 2017
1: and and we don't call them icos anymore just because we call them idos is it right i think just for
0: some like they're not fundamentally different they're basically the same thing it's just a way for a project to bootstrap some cash in the beginning you know um they changed the name i think because of regulatory reasons ico is kind of a dirty (laughs) word now because it implies it kind of has a connotation of all these scams from 2017 so they. You know they do what everyone does. They rebrand when there's negative, uh, <laughs> negative uh,
1: media about them. <laughs> um, so, so IDOs um, at the end of the day, like it, you're taking. I mean, you're taking a risk. Just like you know, you take a risk buying uh, any asset. It doesn't necessarily need to go up in price after the auction, right? No. But I guess you are. Getting in I guess like a few days before or a few months before, depending on how they do Well, yeah, the the, the appeal
0: of them is that like it makes you get in at the ground level, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I say that because there's obviously gonna be VC, be like strategic partners and all these other things that are actually getting in the real ground level. But you're gonna get as what close as you can get for a retail investor to the ground level. Um Mm -hmm. and depending on their sales structure, how they're releasing their tokens, you know, how much you're getting for your sale, it could be incredibly lucrative, especially if it's a project that um, is coming from a team that's either well-respected or has people that are well-respected working on it, um, and they have a distribution system that's at least more fair than most just uh, big VC-backed projects that end up being kind of a VC playground to dump their liquidity onto the retail side. Mm-hmm. um but yeah in those instances if you find a good one they can be extremely lucrative you know um, but,
1: but but it's um uh, but it's all determined by i guess the initial uh team you know how they want to distribute uh how the auction process works right how, how the tokenomics
0: work and how everything yeah. that's all designed by the team and okay. so a good a good different. model can kind of make and break make or break your project you know
1: yeah so there's a few ways to do it right i mean i know previously we talked about like some coins are just issued like on on discord like i remember you know you got some of your um rome you know rome yeah, coins that's just that's, on that's
0: what the IDO sometimes stands for too like initial discord offering
1: oh is that what sometimes
0: I- you know <laughs> i've heard it like i've heard it stand for a different thing like initial distribution oh. offering initial there's also like initial token generation <laughs> event um. Basically, they're just all rebrands of basically what an ICO is.
1: Um, okay. But but again, CoinList is a platform to you know raise money, kind of in a more centralized way, right? Because CoinList is uh, a a platform everybody goes to to you know to try to get some coins. But Discord is like a a much more um, it's just a much more kind of Discord uh, is grassy. purely
0: community based, right? It's just purely yeah,
1: right.
0: from. Um, it's probably the more favored way among some of the people in crypto now to get oh, a whitelist for a sale or anything because it's so community-driven. You have to participate yeah. to kind of earn your spot um, yeah. in yeah, the community. Yeah, I like
1: that, actually.
0: And it's I, not I like just that. kind of a, oh, here's my credentials. Please like select mm-hmm. me so I can buy a bunch of money and then immediately like dump on the first day of trading when it pumps up huge. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, like not saying people don't do that from Discord sales, but at least then you kind of prior to the launch and post launch, you still have this community of people that are engaged and um, invested, not just
1: financially, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, uh, and this again, going on a little bit of a tangent and pull me back, Jeff, if this is too much. But it's like, you know, I was just thinking like, um, for example, something like Open Seas, right? You know, we're talking about NFTs. They don't have a coin right so right. and i heard that they're almost going to um they're going to list publicly right like in the traditional sense traditional equity offering um so that kind of does that you know as a crypto native does that kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth yeah, like, so
0: that that whole uh, thing right with the open saying that they weren't gonna um they weren't gonna make a token they were gonna do an ipo instead um that was met with huge backlash by the community um, mm. And kind of forced mm. OpenSea to go back on their what they said, right? That had to mm. clarify that they didn't mean that they were going to IPO <laughs> right away. They had to clarify, oh, this is just something that any company would do. You know, any company has to think about eventually IPOing and everything. Um, and it probably is what sparked the SOS OpenDAO airdrop, which is like not affiliated with OpenSea, but another team made an airdrop for anybody that had used OpenSea. Um, And And this
1: was just to get that team to get anybody who used OpenSea but maybe were unhappy to look at SOS. (laughs) Um, sort of, but like OpenDAO, (laughs) I I haven't even looked at what OpenDAO
0: does. I don't think it's even like a platform. I don't want to speak out of turn. I'm I'm honestly not sure what it does. But essentially, it was just a way for yeah, for them to be like, hey, you know, we know you guys are pissed about OpenSea (laughs) never releasing a coin. But Here's our coin, and anyone that's used OpenSea,
1: you know, gets a proportional amount of our coin. Oh, man, is uh, maybe I'm making an inappropriate analogy. It's like, oh, I know you're unhappy in your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, but, you know, I'm making myself available now. Yeah, you know? that- <laughs> here's some nudes. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, you know, um, well, that's that's so interesting. Right. And I was having a conversation with a friend who was saying, man, <clears throat> you know, the open nature of all this um, makes like the distribution makes the, dis- uh, the business model uh, so different now. Um, you know, because, you know, like, everything. Have these things called like vampire attacks,
0: which are just like sushi is probably the most infamous example of the original like kind of vampire attack where they just copied Uniswap's code and dropped this like airdrop for people um, that had used Uniswap. And, you know, then people were saying, oh, well, now we have like the sushi token and it had this uh, kind of yield effect where you could stake it for X sushi and. You know, more people started migrating over to SushiSwap. And like these kind of attacks are common when you're in this space because it's so easy to copy another project's code and just kind of
1: make your own project spin off of that. That's the criticism I get a lot from my non-crypto friends. It's like, oh, everything is just open. I mean, I always tell them how great open source is. But then they're like, well, because everything is open source, can be copied, right? Then what's the point? What's your trust in any one... Um, you know, source, right? Or any one, like, for example, in your example, Sushi versus Uniswap. I mean, I thought Uniswap was the best thing that they invented since sliced bread. And then all of a sudden they just copy the code and people start migrating to Sushi. Well, Um, I think
0: think it's funny because the criticism your friends are giving, I think is almost a huge positive, right? I think the fact that none of these protocols are kind of safe, so to speak, from just someone Mm. else coming up with a better one is good for the ecosystem. It forces everybody to always innovate you know it's kind of almost forces a meritocracy of just having like what is the best protocol available is the one that people are going to go and use you know things like security and stuff that's all part of it right there's a reason like people are going to use ave even though maybe ave doesn't have the best rates for its loans anymore but ave has never been hacked it's one of the og protocols um and it's been around forever so people have a level of trust in it even though it's decentralized and someone could just copy the ave code which people have done like Geist Finance on Phantom is just a fork of Ave before Ave had a chance to launch on Phantom um but basically mm. um you know they it still works even though the competition is different than the traditional world um mm. in this world well, it kind of enhances people's uh
1: Sure, but I want to. I want to. I want to push down a little further on this because I mean, even in the traditional world, I don't know if cutthroat competition is always the best, right? Um, I mean, cutthroat competition is is good certainly for the consumer. Well, I
0: think I think so. Here's yeah. the difference, right? I think th- it's not cutthroat competition in the crypto space because, like, the same way that hey, if Sushi forks Uniswap and copies their code and adds some innovations, that's doesn't mean that doesn't stop someone else from doing the same to them, right? Everybody has this mm.
1: um so, so what is safe So how do we like it's just everybody's eating everybody and then well, that's what I, mean.
0: like... I don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily like oh the newest thing comes out and everyone's going to migrate there because like i said the security is such an important mm. factor too um mm. and in this space where everything's immutable security is huge so mm. having a reputation you know having um a rep as someone that's never been hacked having someone that's you know have, having a reputation as a protocol that has over a billion dollars in value locked, um, has never lost user funds and stuff, those are all big important factors to consider too. Just because someone can mm-hmm. spin up a copy of your code and add some extra features doesn't mean that that is necessarily the same quality of security and code
1: and trust that they'll have um, from the existing protocol. Because the analogy I think about in traditional world is like, you know, think about a lot of these technology companies. um, They it's incredibly cutthroat in the beginning. Maybe there's like 20, 30, you know, competitors or copycats, but they all try to vie to be that last remaining one or two. And then once they become that one or two, they're sitting pretty, you know, they've got a comfortable position and then they jack up prices or whatever, you know, behavior that they do. But I guess what you're saying is that in crypto space, it's almost very hard to sit comfortable at the top because... I think so
0: because, there's one, there's no proprietary technology, really. And you're seeing crypto companies actually try and start adding this stuff. Like, you're seeing Aave now introducing proposals that would essentially make parts of their upgrades closed source, you know. Um, Um, Uniswap V3, I believe, is closed source right now um, with intents to, you know, become open source in the future. Um... But, yeah, you are seeing okay. stuff like this happening now where they are starting to try it and feel, okay, like we have to do something to kind of protect our technology a little bit. But the caveat is that it's up to the community to decide how much is appropriate,
1: you know. Um, this is just like, you know, <laughs> turning everything like, you know, top down for me. It's like uh, upside down, I mean, for me. It's like, you know, you're, you grow up learning um, you know, like trademarks, copyrights are there for a reason, right? Because they encourage inventors who are the first there to ultimately be able to reap the rewards and benefits, uh, you know, for many years down the road. And so that is what drives innovation, this protection. But at the same time, what you're saying is that Uniswap, they come up with this, you know, kind of fancy algorithm, um, you know, for this, uh, this new generation of, um, of, 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 of DEXs. And then they're almost like it's an exception for them to tell people, "Hey, we actually want to keep some of this code to ourselves," uh, right? As opposed to yeah. So is that? I mean, it seems quite. I don't know. It well, I think. I think out? it is. It's obviously the jury's still out, but I think
0: we've been told how things work for so long, right? Like society has told us, yeah, like that's how things work. There's IP laws. There's paid marks and stuff to protect your ideas. So that encourages and fosters innovation. Maybe, maybe that does, you know, maybe that helps a little bit, but we've never really tried the other way either. We've never really tried to design a system that's more open and see if that also fosters a high level of innovation. And so far, I believe in crypto, we've seen that we've seen that with all this open source code and billions of dollars on the line, people are still preferring a collaborative open source nature than a closed source kind of competitive nature. Um, you know, even though these protocols compete, they also collaborate and work together and kind of rely on each other's innovations. Um, the AVAX team, for example, you know, I'm sure they could they have their ideas about how to scale a network, but they also rely heavily on what Ethereum has done and a lot of the um, innovations that the Ethereum team has come up with and vice versa. You know, all these things kind of work in tandem in this space. And I can't really tell you, if it's kind of exclusive to crypto, or why like this is kind of formed, but this is the culture of the space right now, and it's very mm. different from kind of the old uh, old way of
1: thinking. But so, so really, is everything open source? I mean, is uh, is the code for Uniswap the code for you know um, you know some of these Olympus DAO forks? I mean, everything I guess is open source. It's you can right for um, the most part. Um, like I said, certain chains are. Less decentralized, so
0: like Solana has more closed-source projects. But um, for the most part, yeah, these things are open-source. Like, Olympus made a really big innovation to the DeFi space. And the reason why there's several billion Ohm forks now, (laughs) it feels like, is because their code was completely open-source. They just made it, they published it. Anybody can copy the code and add their own little tweaks and uh, changes to it.
1: I mean that's just again it's um, it's very uh, very different than the way we think how business or how the development of technology or protocols or whatnot um, normally is and but and then what about the layer one solutions like you know um, we talk a bit about um, you know avalanche or, or Terra is all that open source is one as well could somebody create an identical, like Terra yeah, I mean Terra Terra anyone is- can. That's kind of the whole point. Like uh, one of the whole um
0: kind of selling points of the the Polkadot ecosystem and the Atom ecosystem is that anybody can spin up a blockchain. You know, anybody can um uh can go and make a blockchain on Dot. Like I have a friend that's been learning um uh, how to program for the Polkadot's, uh ecosystem on Substrate, and he says, yeah, it takes some like. 20 minutes to make a new blockchain if you wanted to. Um, it's not going to be very sophisticated, but it's not very difficult either. Um, mm-hmm.
1: And when he says blockchain, that's like layer one. Like yeah. That's the, the, okay.
0: But using using yeah. kind of the existing code base and the security mm-hmm. of uh, Polkadot's ecosystem. That's just whole, one whole example, right?
1: Polkadot, because the whole point of Polkadot is it enables people <laughs> to create a blockchain in 20 minutes. Right. If they wanted to.
0: <laughs> um, and the, the other thing, like, you know, like Bitcoin source code, we we don't talk about Bitcoin a lot, but we can't forget that like Bitcoin, um, kind of the original open source uh, software, right? Um, Anybody can fork Bitcoin, which has happened several times, like Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Diamond, Bitcoin Gold, like all these other crazy Bitcoin forks all happen because Bitcoin source code is totally open source. Um, so all that matters well, is the number, number of people that decide to use it, right? Just because you make this fork and the blockchain doesn't mean people are going to run nodes for it. Doesn't mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah doesn't mean people are going to actually use the thing, you know?
1: Mm-mm. Well, let's go back to our favorite one of our favorite protocols, like Anchor, right? Or uh,
0: That's open source as well. Do you know, I haven't actually looked source? into it. I'm not sure if it's open source or not. Okay, okay. Yeah, so with protocols like Uniswap, they're kind of a core uh, puzzle piece in DeFi, right? They're the decks that lets people... Um, swap coins in a decentralized way. Um, But when you look under the hood of pretty much every single DEX across the multiple ecosystems on um, EVM chains, at least, most of them are forks of Uniswap. Trader Joe on Avalanche is a fork of Uniswap. Obviously, SushiSwap is a fork of Uniswap. Um, But the reason these all um, exist is they kind of help promote the growth of the ecosystem overall, right? Uniswaps obviously not going to be super mad that all these other ones exist on these other chains that they're not kind of um, having a presence on anyway, because Mm -hmm. it's still good for them overall. If the entire ecosystem grows Um, and the open source Mm -hmm. nature of this space
1: allows for that, you know, could could that change though, Jeff, as the pie gets smaller, which I think will take, yeah, it'll be a long time. We're far from the pie stopping. uh, We're far from, you know, a a phase where the pie is drinking, in my opinion, obviously, in this space. Um, But could that change? People become less cooperative? I think so. I think so. I Just
0: because of human nature, like, scarcity is always the thing that drives people to kind of be not so kind to their neighbors and stuff and be a little more, um, you know, looking out for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a factor to think about. But like you said, that's really far away from the space. And there's really no telling what, Um, the future will kind of look like at that point, you know. Mm
1: -hmm. At this point, Mm -hmm. I think everybody is still
0: so focused on just building out the infrastructure, um, realizing that there's already so many hurdles to the vision of what crypto wants to achieve, right? And the vision's even different and changing all the time. But even then, there's still so many regulatory hurdles, so many hurdles in terms of mass adoption, usability, user experience Mm -hmm. that I think most people in the space... And builders especially recognize that it's far better to be collaborative and cooperative at this stage of um, this space than it is to start competing with each other and being protective of, you know, ideas and technology and that kind of
1: thing. What we've talked about in this show, uh, just the collaborative nature, I mean, certainly what got me involved and connected um, into this space is just the energy, the positive energy. Uh, of the people around me uh, who are in this space, and it just contrasted so much with people in other space. You know what I'm saying, Jeff? It's like people who work in other industries—I won't name which industries—but really, I mean, you can imagine it's um, uh, the, the collaborative nature is a little bit lacking because it's, it's as you said, the pie is shrinking a little bit. People be a little are a little more selfish; they protect their interests a bit more. Um, and in this space, I think the focus is just on building, yeah. right? I mean, it's almost like the dollars and cents come later. Yeah, I
0: agree, and it's right? it's almost yeah. like it's a coincidence that the dollars and cents are also huge. You know, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> like obviously there's a ton Especially of people in the help. space to make money, but the builders in this space almost seem to be just more interested in building because, like you said, this is a space that's super exciting, right? People have a passion for this that is rare in other industries, simply because um, there's so much new things to do, there's so many new problems to solve. There's so much new potential to unlock so many possibilities to explore that it's hard for a builder to get bored in this space. I think um, because there's just so much to do and that energy isn't going to last forever, but at least right now in this moment, it's really palpable. And um, I think the momentum is going to run for a long time because there's still so much work to be done.
1: Yeah. yeah, I I hear you, man. I hear you. And, you know, as certainly Know a rising market, right? Just a valuation, the market caps of all these coins certainly motivates these builders more, um, and it will also attract the attention of people outside of this space. Uh, but if you know, if you're kind of a long-time listener of this show, I'm sure you know where we stand. Like you know, this is a um, this we're in it for the long run. I mean, it's it's if you believe the technology is transformational, there will be kind of distractions along the way. Um, and I would almost say that um, you know, when I talk to people about crypto. Um, the people who are perhaps haven't you know, really taken the time to understand it, the first reaction I actually get is quite opposite of what we just described, which is the building of it. They're more like, oh, you know, it's really just another way to scam other people. Um, and so they, 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 they give some examples, right? And I can't refute them because there are bad actors in this space um, who are using this as a, an example to kind of prey on, um, on unwitting kind of uh, uh, victims. But ultimately, just as um, as I say, that I hope we can brush up, uh, those concerns. I mean, not aside, always be mindful, but just focus on the fact that um, there are there is real building happening in this place. There's real technology. You know, there's there's real the user experience is improving. You know, you are getting higher yield on some of your projects because of these innovations in DeFi um, and the NFTs. As we talk about that innovation of property rights, um, you know that that is. The idea of decentralization is opening up new businesses tokenization oh my gosh I mean, we could go on and on but um, it, yeah, I think it's very easy to get uh, just kind of jaded by some of the um, uh, the bad actors as well which we have to be balanced and talk about yeah now. of course um and yeah yeah and maybe just kind of to close up um, you know we just to find a <laughs> close the loop I think we started talking about listing on, on CoinList list um, or, or buying coins at the uh, at the early stages you know, one of the things I also got involved in recently is just this protocol on Terra called Pylon. Um, I think probably just yeah, you, yeah, you've Pylon, that, right? And the mine tokens. Yeah, it, yeah it's kind of cool. Um, it's also, um, at least the way I look at it, it's kind of like a coin list, but just for yeah, you know, it's Terra. It's, a, like, I, it's I, I think yeah.
0: of it as a launch pad, even though it's a little bit different from some of the other launch pads out there. But it's basically, you know, a mm-hmm. way for you to get involved and um, earn won't well, really mm-hmm. earn. Sort of earn, buy, earn um tokens of terror projects at an early kind of early entry level.
1: Like like the lockup on some of this stuff is like five yeah, months. So it's
0: it's that's a trade-off, right? They don't want to create for a system. Months.
1: Actually, I think my stuff... Yeah, I'm they don't want to create a system that <laughs>
0: incentivizes um people to you know buy early and dump right away when they first hit the market, because that's never healthy for these projects to have that kind of price action. Mm-hmm. Um so like mm-hmm. like other cool experiments they're seeing what happens if you know they game theory it out into what if, what if you have to lock your tokens for x amount of time but you get
1: you know more rewards for doing so um so. yeah but, but 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 then again the rewards are also in the native coin so i mean just to be more specific on pylon the thing that I became interested in is a uh, token called whale Mm -hmm. (laughs) whale like the animal and uh, and it has something to do with I mean the reason it's called whale is trying to say that uh, a lot of times arbitrage opportunities can only be carried out by these big whales big players in the market um, who have a lot of resources but I guess the whale protocol tries to keep um, yeah white white whale on
0: on Terra Um,
1: yeah yeah, and I think I think I know
0: exactly what you're talking about right it's using it's trying to let kind of retail users participate in these arbitrage opportunities kinda as a almost as like a pack.
1: But but it's also kind of but the arbitrage is great because it keeps the US T more yeah, stable. So it's, it's like a and feedback sort of feeds loop. Into their whole point. <laughs> and I just think, wow that's that's pretty cool. I mean at least that idea is really cool. Like I haven't read specifically into the code and the execution of it, but that concept at least I, I think is worth, you know, um just uh reading into it a bit more. So that's just one of many protocols actually that you can um, you can stake UST um, to earn more whale tokens whenever that you know becomes available um, uh, and it's like you get you earn 100% APY or again these are changing so don't um, you know uh, don't, don't take that for like a fixed number and these uh, uh, rewards are changing as more people stake but nonetheless i mean ultimately Jeff your risk is just this project doesn't take off so it doesn't matter whether it's 100% APY or 1000% APY you get a bunch of tokens that you know, don't have value, right? right. right? Um, but, but but you just trust, again, that they'll try to figure something... I mean, it's just... It's, it's raising money, right? It's trying to take your UST to help them develop the project. Um, and in return, they're giving you lots of whale tokens, which hopefully will be worth even more. Um, I mean, is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's exactly of, pretty of much process? how
0: the speculative nature of these uh, projects work, right? Um, yeah. You... You make oh, yeah. a bet, you make a bet on things that you think are asymmetrical opportunities. And a lot of the times, um, launch pads like Pylon, um, like Coinlist, like um, you know, any of these launch pads you find all over the different ecosystems, a lot of the times those opportunities presented are gonna be like rather asymmetric in nature. Um, that's not to say every one of them will be uh, a good bet. But if
1: you do your research, a lot of them can be quite Quite lucrative, yeah. Jeff, you know, I just I keep being I just am amazed by this because you know so many of my you know my peers around me in traditional finance when we talk about investing in like a particular VC project, right? I mean, it's like a hot VC project, everybody's trying to get their hands on. You got to know somebody to know somebody, and we're all just talking about this one project, um, you know. Uh, and it's like oh God, we're trying to, everybody's trying to come up with data about it. Do you know what do you know about it? What do you know about the the backers and but at the end of the day, Jeff, like these people who like really want to get involved in early projects, early stage, I mean, if they just open their eyes to what's available in, um, in crypto space, right? It's like, dude, you can get involved. You can exercise your whatever judgment. You can try to wear your P- VC hat.
0: Yeah, it, like, the, the, just, the you know, barrier entry is very yeah. low when you want to do things like
1: that, you know? Um, but it's amazing. People still want to talk about the truth, but they write off right, these new projects, right, in, in in crypto space. But then they're like, they'd rather, like a, a thousand people bang their heads to try to get in on this one project, right, that's like basically the one VC is the gatekeeper and everybody's like, do you know somebody, do you know somebody who gets, and it's like, and, and it's like they, they talk all the time about this one project. They got all their eggs in this one basket and when they finally get in. But then I'm like, dude, I mean, you know, you can put in like, you can stake 100 UST, like and on some whale tokens, right? I mean, that's just to just play around, you know? Yeah, sure. it's really just about <laughs> you know, breaking out
0: of the comfort zone because I think people, like you like you alluded to, when you first heard about these opportunities in crypto, It's it does feel like, oh, this is too good to be true. It's easy to write off without bothering to understand why these opportunities exist and how um, you can participate.
1: Wow. Anyways, Jeff, I don't even know how long we went on for, but I have a feeling that uh, we, we've uh, gone on for, uh, you know, an extended period of time. So uh, let's, uh, this is a great way to ring in the new year. I uh, wanted to make it a point to uh, record, um, you know, to start off the new year because it's just, um, yeah, I mean, this has kind of become part of our, our life. Yeah, I agree. Um, and um, and uh... listeners, happy new year, you
0: know. <laughs> um, I think 2022 is going to be another big year for crypto. Mm-hmm. Uh, with everything that's gone on in the past two years, I just can't see how much um, how it can't not be a big year, you know, more innovation is going to keep happening. So, you know, tune in, stay around. I think it'll be a great, great year for crypto to be involved in
1: yeah yeah listeners hope you uh, learned something uh today um and as always like uh, i'm sure jeff and i as we talk about this our thoughts on this are evolving as well so uh and i think that's cool jeff i feel like recording this versus when we first recorded it i feel like we're different people like I feel yeah like, great you know our involved. conversations are more matured and then
0: you know we both have a better oh, hope so <laughs> have a better understanding of the space and of all the things that we can do in it all right, all right, Matt. We'll uh,
1: will let you run, and um, let's let's do it yeah, again Yeah, man. Soon. Happy New Year. All right, take care, Jeff. Mm-hmm.